Take a network break. Welcome to our summer special episode. We're recording just ahead of the July 4th holiday in the U.S., and we didn't have an official episode scheduled, but we decided to record one anyway. Uh, there's no sponsors, no tech bites. It's, it's just us. So hang out for a bit while we discuss the latest tech news, including another Cisco acquisition, cloud networking, SEC troubles for SolarWinds. Uh, we're going to start with some FU, some follow-up. Uh, these came in while I was away, Greg, so I'll let you handle those. Uh, yeah, so we talked about the Exceedian acquisition. Uh, that was with Ethan and... I've got some feedback saying that they see it as an integration with Thousand Eyes. And one of the key asks from service and mobile carriers is sub-millisecond testing. He's saying and currently Thousand Eyes can only test down to the per-second interval. So this will enable new agents to be utilized by that market. And he's talking about the acquisition of Samnose from Thousand Eyes. We'll talk about that more down, which is a different type of focus. Which actually, The only trick here is that I believe the Exceedian product is actually being folded into Cisco's Crosswork platform. So not so much a part of Thousand Eyes. Mm. Maybe there's some technology crossover, but my understanding was that Thousand Eyes is going to the service provider BU, not the visibility BU or the enterprise BU. And so maybe there's some separation there. But it's nice to know that what Exceedian was doing was sub-millisecond testing. And that's a thing that currently Thousand Eyes is only offering per second granularity based around their data. Okay, so Acedian's going more for the uh, carriers, the service providers, while Thousand Eyes seems to be aimed more at enterprises looking to do performance monitoring. I think, yes, so if you're a telco, you don't you don't want to close the loop here. You want to just have an open loop. You just want to know if the network's working. Mm-hmm. And Exceedian is in that space. And you use um, digital experience monitoring, that is agents around the edge of the network somewhere to generate data so that you can check the performance of the network, not, you know, in-band, you know, at regular schedule periods and say, you know, is it working at peak times like during Super Bowl or, you know, during a special event like a game download or is it working on Tuesdays at 10 a.m.? Well, the only way to do that is to set up a probe and to simulate that. And that's what Exceedium was doing. Uh, but other platforms are doing more. So what a lot of the DEM platforms have done, we'll talk about this with Thousand Eyes and Sam knows is they're now saying, oh, I'm seeing the fault. I'm alerting you that there's a fault. Now, what are you going to do about it? Well, mm-hmm. I got a, I can add on to my product now and start uh, troubleshooting the problem, which is something that we've seen across the industry now. It's not just enough to have visibility or to report a fault or, you know, do the do the digital experience monitoring. It's also about fault rectification. So right. I see it as that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I guess you also uh, had an episode with a, a Jonah Till Johnson was a guest host, and I guess you guys got into it about Zero Trust. <laughs> Well, that we got quite a bit of feedback about that discussion. Uh, we <laughs> were specifically <laughs> talking about CISA and Zero Trust. And um, thanks to everybody for all their feedback and standing up for Jonah and standing up for Greg. It was great. Um, but a couple of things to note. Um, a lot of people felt that the debate where Jonah sort of yelled me down a little bit and I came back at her and different people saw it differently, which is interesting. Um, but if you've been following the Heavy Strategy podcast, you know that this is what we do. Jonah and I like to argue strongly held opinions but loosely held, right? So the idea here is that we actually take two sides of a debate and then argue. And some of that spilled over here because that's the format of that show. When you get into the routine, that's what you do. Um, and generally what we do is try and it's, it's I don't know if uh, the best way to explain it is it's like a high school debate mm-hmm. where you're given a topic and get told you're on the floor and you're against. Mm-hmm. Now you may not believe in the topic. You may violently disagree with being told to, you know, be against a particular topic or whatever it is, but you've got to debate it and convince people that, you know, you can be a debater. So um, there is that. Uh, The second thing is about the actual technology topic. Uh, Most people said that they agree with my perspective on the zero trust and the out of banded rate. That is the US government CISA guidelines that we looked at would would include a correctly designed out of bust 
out of design network, out of band network as a zero trust environment. It's inherently so because it's in, there's zero trust in and out of band network. You use separate switches, you have jump boxes, you have a separate authentication tree. It's a restricted access network. It's only accessible by certain paths and so on. So zero trust is a lot more for uncontrolled networks where you don't know. And uh, applying zero trust to an out-of-band network generally just leaves you with the inability to troubleshoot things when things really, really go wrong. So, uh, yes, Jonah and I are fine. We do argue like that. Um, it's part of the podcasting thing that we do. Thanks for sticking up for either or of us. And that's great. Thank you. Yes, it, it is their dynamic. And if you enjoyed it uh, or are curious about how it really works, go listen to the Heavy Strategy podcast as well, because you'll get more of it. Yeah, well, I've been editing a lot of it out and I've decided not to. I've decided to put a lot more of the the. the crunch together and leave it in so you'll hear more of it i think it's much more much more interesting listening to hear where we disagree and what we disagree about and then sometimes we even talk each other around it's not like we're you know locked into a certain opinion loosely held opinions yes strong opinions loosely held yes you, you are convincible. All right, let's dive into some news. First, uh, Prosimo has announced a free tier for its multi-cloud networking service. The free offering is called MCN Foundation. MCN is for multi-cloud network. It lets you onboard your cloud, cloud accounts, regions, and uh, VCPs or VNets. It connects cloud networks together with Transit Builder, and you get network observability, uh, additional capabilities like security and advanced networking. That's going to require paid licenses. Yeah, this is a good move from Prosimo uh, in lots of different ways. It, there's a lot of multi-cloud networking solutions, and the idea is that they just connect all the clouds together in a unified way, both on and off-prem, right? Uh -huh. And the idea is, is that if you're going to stitch them together and you've got overlapping addresses and you want to inject service and you want to have some sort of consistent networking because all of the off-prem cloud networks are all proprietary, and then you've got your on-prem, which is always going to be just a little bit unique to you. How do you stitch them all together? What Prosimo is saying is like, Multi-cloud networking is like armpits. Everybody's got one now. Is it really worthwhile paying for that? Or could we differentiate ourselves in some way by saying, sure. So they're saying, no, no, we'll just make it free. So you can go over there, sign up for them, deploy it yourself. They'll give you tech support via Stack, via Slack channel, if you need help to get this to go. Um, and then, of course, it's a, once you're in, of course, you've then got the opportunity to start saying, I need zero trust. I need service network. I need to put firewalls in or you know some sort of... Uh, VPC controls or get visibility in there or, you know, or go into some sort of enterprise functionality of some sort. Um, now, they're all add-on extras and you have to pay for them. And that's not unreasonable. There is a lot of value in here. I think the realization here um, is that multi-cloud networking is basically table stakes. It, it Once upon a time, just connecting the clouds together was really difficult. And now if you want to build an extra net that all these clouds connect to, well, you know, there's lots of ways. You could, a lot of people are just using... Uh, Kubernetes service meshes, if you're just using it for containers. Some people are just using some native stuff, like Google's got its own version of connecting to other clouds. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. I, I think we're sort of realizing that this is a commodity thing, um, and this is a way for Prosimo to reach customers who would, might want to play with a sort of an advanced, modern SaaS, you know, multi-cloud networking mm -hmm. and and get started with it. So it makes sense. So my understanding of Prosimo is, is basically the value proposition is you get sort of a unified control plane uh, across multiple public clouds instead of having to use, uh, you know, AWS does networking this way, uh, Azure does it that way, and mm. Google does it a third way. And instead of trying to learn all the ins and outs, you use Prosimo and Prosimo underneath the hood is leveraging the networking constructs of each individual public cloud, right? But presenting yeah, it to you in a uniform manner. And we've done that in networking for 30 plus years. Once you've got 
you know, once your underlay is in place, we'd lay different protocols over the top. So right. think of it this way. Don't think of it as dedicated connections from site to site, you know, with point to point connections. Think of it as once I've got uh, an Ethernet LAN put together with an IP layer on it, I, you know, we used to put IPX, NetBuoy, Net, you know, IPX, SPX, AppleTalk, Banyan Vines, all used to layer on top. And the reason that we all converged on TCP IP was because the only way to converge all of those services together was to come on to one protocol. So when people get into multi-cloud networking, you know, Azure, Google, Oracle, AWS, who've all got a completely different take on networking, the only thing that's the same is IP, operating all of those and creating VPCs and mapping security policies and all that stuff just becomes a nightmare. You're actually working with a multi-vendor network with completely different, not, not even with just a different interface. They're not even using the same protocol or the same theories of operation. They all run IP, but that's about it. And so, yeah, you want one way to map them all so that you can actually just know what you're doing. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the freemium tier is a tried and true mechanism to get folks onto your platform. And as you mentioned, multi-cloud networking space is getting more crowded and just simple multi-cloud mm. connectivity is, isn't really a, a compelling differentiator anymore. Uh, so mm. I guess Prosimo is using this as an angle to draw customers in, get them on the free tier and then upsell them on, on security and advanced networking capabilities. Well, keep in mind that salespeople cost money. And if your product is unbuyable, like if it's so hard to buy your product that I need to have a salesman come out and shove it down my throat, you know, like a duck being force fed to make, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, maybe it's not a very good product. If I have to be trained on it for six months before I can use a product, not a very good product. They're talking setting up their multi-cloud networking is 30 minutes. So yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, moving on, Cisco Thousand Eyes, we teased this earlier. They've announced their intention to acquire a company called Sam Knows. Sam Knows is a London-based broadband network monitoring company. It monitors broadband performance for ISPs. Uh, I guess Sam Knows runs software agents on home broadband routers, and the agents give Thousand Eyes more visibility into network and application performance. Yeah, my understanding is uh, from looking at the Sam Knows website, it's not a very good name, is it? It's not very cool. It's terrible. So. <laughs> Probably started off as something else. My understanding is that Sam knows actually works with broadband providers to put an agent inside of the routers because when you buy a connection, you get a router provided by the broadband company and they put it on your network and then they want to be able to start collecting telemetry for that. So there's sort of three three parts to what they're doing. They're talking about finding network performance and customer experience issues, but they're also talking about identifying root cause and assessing the impact on customers. So this is moving away from just the visibility. Remember I was talking about, you know, up until now, we've just said, oh, we need the visibility, but then a human gets involved to try and diagnose, you know, where the root cause is. Now what they're saying is you can much more quickly discover and fix network issues. You can have root cause identification. You can prove the speeds that you're providing to the home, measure Wi-Fi performance in the home. This is where you have a Wi-Fi. You have an agent in the broadband router. And being in broadband routers is a takes years and years and years. You have to build the software. Then you have to go to the router makers, convince them to put it into their image, you know, yeah. like when BT says, I'm going to buy a million of these boxes to put on broadband, I have to get this piece of software in there. So I think it just provides more data to Thousand Eyes to ingest into their system, but specifically puts them into the broadband network. So there's two sides to this. There's what they sell to the enterprise as a, you know, here's your intelligence about what's happening, what the network, that's where Thousand Eyes come from. They were one of the first companies to monitor the internet, be able to tell you that, oh, there's a route flap, you know, in Brazil causing mm -hmm. you problems in North America or something, right? Right. And they were the first. So, but now it's much more, um, there's, there's two sides of the product, which is the enterprise side, but there's also the telco side. 
where the telcos are saying, well, I need to know if my network is broken, but I need to know if my users are broken, not just my backbone or my core. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, as you said, Thousand Eyes, you know, they, they want as much data as possible. They started at the edge measuring uh, internet and WAM performance. Uh, they've moved into things like Cisco and Meraki routers. Uh, they've got an agent that can run on uh, PCs and laptops. And now by having another visibility point uh, on the broadband router, they get more visibility into that that last mile network, which I think we're hearing is more important to enterprises as folks uh, do this, you know, uh, part in the office, part work from home. Uh, you still need a performant network. And so getting that last mile visibility can be critical. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on. Uh, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, has notified SolarWinds executives that the agency is considering civil action against specific individuals in the company related to the compromise of SolarWinds software that exposed thousands of its customers to malicious software. Uh, the SolarWinds CISO and CFO are among the executive that have received so-called Wells notices from the SEC. A Wells notice is basically an official notification that the SEC thinks there is strong evidence that an organization or individuals have violated U.S. securities laws. And just to clarify, in this case, I'm talking about uh, regulated financial instruments as securities, not InfoSec, although there, this is also an InfoSec issue. So we have to be careful with the, the word security here. So you have to understand SEC's rather complex inner work in the, <laughs> in the U.S., and its ability, I think you captured it well when you picked up on Matt Levine's theory. I suspect you read his newsletter. His newsletter is fantastic. That's right. And of course, he says that everything is securities forward is his basic go-to assumption. Yep. And in this case, this it falls into his uh, into his theory here, which is that um, there are various accusations flying around that Solowinds failed to disclose how bad this was and who the, to the market. They certainly engaged FBI after a while. But there's also various accusations that they didn't do enough. I think really what's actually happening here is the SEC is starting to signal to companies that you have to take cybersecurity breaches seriously. You have to be um, not just saying, oh, look, we got breached. Oh, what a shame. We did everything we could. Do you, do you know right. what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, my, my assumption is that the SEC doesn't... It, in this case, it happened to be a cybersecurity breach. I think the SEC doesn't really care what it is as long as a company, a publicly traded company, is making statements about uh, an incident that happened to it or a steps that it took. It has to be forthcoming with those uh, statements. Otherwise, they are going to run into problems with the SEC. I think that's what this is about. Uh, in this case, it happens to be a cyber attack. It could have been something entirely different. Uh, but the SEC's hmm. remit is if shareholders are being harmed because of information you did or did not provide, that's a securities issue that we need to talk to you about. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yes. The SEC doesn't care about the cybersecurity, but they care about the impact on the share price. And they're saying fundamentally that the the duly, duly appointed uh, company of officials who inform the market failed to inform the market uh, in a timely and comprehensive fashion so that people could understand the impact of those company's value. Yes. Um, so uh, and I should, I should note that the uh, Wells notice isn't an official accusation. It's just a notification that uh, uh, charges may be coming. Um, and I guess uh, the SolarWinds and the executives have an opportunity to respond to the Wells notice to argue their case. Uh, so this is ongoing. Uh, charges have not officially been filed yet, so we'll keep an eye on this and see where it's going. Uh, I'm glad the SEC is investigating. Uh, my cynical take is that the only outcome is going to be some fines levied by the SEC and then some pinky promises by SolarWinds to take security <laughs> seriously, uh, and then we're back to business as usual. Well, SolarWinds sold, uh, part of the reason that SolarWinds share price has fallen 50% since the breach is not just the lack of value as customers walked out the door and its brand is damaged, so future sales were impacted, but also because they hived off a pretty substantial chunk. They had a bit of a, a chunk of the business doing service provider monitoring. Hmm. 
and that was floated off or sold off at some point during this process mm. uh, as well. So it's not necessarily that clean. But I think the, my view here is that companies who get compromised are being signaled by the government in a roundabout sort of way. <laughs> you know, right. This is a notice saying we're investigating this. Well, that's a signal to all companies. Pay attention. It is a signal to all companies now that the financial side of the house, when there is a security incident, uh, should pick up its ears and be like, hey, uh, I know you guys are handling the security side of this, but the SEC is now also paying attention. So be careful with what you say. Be honest. Be accurate. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to get uh, some investigation. <laughs> so hopefully it has some yeah. repercussions. It, it yeah, is a signal think- to the that, you know. I think it's a signal that security incidents are now potentially under the remit of the SEC. I, I think the governments don't want to legislate. The general assumption is that governments don't want to legislate about cybersecurity because it's difficult and it's, and it's hard. Yep. What they can do is use these types of instruments can come in and say, well, we can track you on existing laws and on the outcomes of these cybersecurity things. And the government is, I think, especially the current administration in the U.S., Certainly in the UK as well, they're signaling a much more approach. And if you fail to disclose and fail to address, and if you're shown to have been substantially weak in cybersecurity practice, you are going to get, uh, you're going to spend a couple of years in court arguing with the government solicitors about, you know, were you bad or not? And it doesn't really matter whether you get found guilty or not in the end. That whole process is extremely costly and time consuming. Absolutely. All right, we're going to wrap up with a a man bites dog story. Uh, A U.S. university is suing a cleaning company after a worker employed by the cleaning company switched off an industrial freezer containing cell cultures and other research materials. Apparently, this freezer at uh, Rentelier Polytechnic Institute in New York was throwing alarms due to a fault. Uh, The beeping allegedly irritated a cleaner who turned it off. Uh, The university said this action destroyed decades of research, and the university is suing for $1 million. It's suing the, the company that employs this cleaner. So I had to search around for the right article here to find the story behind the story here, Drew. Mm-hmm. And it took me, I had to go through eight or nine separate news pieces before I found <laughs> the one that was the local newspaper. And it's in the Times Union newspaper here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cleaner turned off the freezer because the noise was bothering him. Uh, and the freezer was shut down because the cleaner turned it off, according to the lawsuit, despite the presence of a sign on the door to the lab's freezer explaining the source of the alarm. A sign in bold print said, a freezer is beeping as it is under repair. Please do not move or unplug it. No cleaning is required in this area. You can press the alarm mute button for five to 10 seconds if you would like to meet the sound. So the freezer was supposed to be like as close to zero degrees as possible. And it warmed up about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm going to use freedom degrees here because that's what it's in the newspaper. Um, but it wasn't at risk. It wasn't at risk of causing the thing. Uh, when this person turned it off because it was annoying him, you know, maybe your cleaner couldn't read. Did you ever think of that? Right. So that's failure number one. Failure number two was they didn't fix the freezer fault immediately. They were happy to let it run over the weekend. So, you know, is this a problem? And three, if you've got 25 years of research work in a freezer, Drew, just one, you've got a problem. You've got a single point of failure. That is your problem. That is a failure to protect your infrastructure. And that's the angle I'm seeing here. I see. Yes. I I take your point, although I will say um, apparently – they knew that the freezer had a fault and the reason they couldn't get it repaired right away is because this happened, I guess, in 2020 during the height of the COVID pandemic. And so there mm-hmm. were delays in getting a repair person out there. So, yeah, they had to come up with other steps. Um, my take is it's a terrible mistake. Uh, but the big takeaway is people don't read. They don't read signs. They don't read instructions. They don't read emails. If you put up a sign mm-hmm. to protect critical infrastructure and think my work here is done, uh, think again. 
<laughs> yes, we have signs on cigarette packets saying smoking will kill you. And how's that working out? Not great. You wouldn't have much. But I, my point here is that if you're betting your entire, you know, if you've got a million dollars on one freezer, right. maybe put it in two freezers. Right. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. <laughs> yes. So this is one of the things in IT. You could use this as an example of, you know, resiliency failure. If you're um, scheduled to give a speech or, you know, you're you're presenting at a conference, here you go. Yeah, load balance those cell cultures, folks. It's the the hope. The, it's the mythical cleaner who unplugged the servers every Saturday night at four o'clock or something. You know, <laughs> there you go. It's the cleaner and the resilient story. <laughs> All right, that wraps up the news. Uh, if you like the show, you can get many more like it at packetpushers.net. You can chat with us on Twitter. Get at packetpushers. You can get tech videos on our YouTube channel. You can listen to us on Spotify. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, and for those in the US, I hope you get a little time off for the Fourth of July. And I guess everybody in Europe has to wait until August. Yeah, and it's good to have you back. I hope you had a great holiday and uh, you're ready and revitalized for the rundown into the end of the year because we've got a lot of a lot of shows to pump out and um, we've got a lot of com- a lot of vendors uh, joining us to sponsor shows and we're trying to make sure we get good content. It takes a lot of energy to do sponsored shows. Honestly. It does. I'm back. I'm relaxed. I'm refreshed, ready to go, and, and looking forward to uh, an official network break next week. All right. See you next week. Bye, everybody.